Hey everybody, today's show is brought to you by Hoopsters, a basketball-themed board game only available at hoopsters.store. I like playing board games because it gives me a chance to connect with my kids or my friends, and for me, the best games are a lot of fun, but they're easy to learn, right? I don't like checking the rules on the inside of the box to lay every other move. Great games require some strategy, but also a little bit of luck, and they don't take forever to complete a game. I'm not a fan of those five-hour Monopoly sessions. So I can tell you firsthand that Hoopsters is all of these things. You can play a quick game in 15 minutes or longer, one in 30. It brings all of the thrill of basketball together with the strategy of backgammon. And I just can't tell you enough about how much fun it is. Each set is handcrafted here in Central Ohio, so head to hoopsters.store, and if there aren't any sets available, you can drop in your email address and we'll let you know as soon as we have some more. That's hoopsters.store. Now on to the show. Hey everybody. There's not much profanity in today's show, but I do use the word balls a couple of times. So if you don't like hearing the word balls, don't listen to this episode. Because it's got balls in it. At least twice. And now I'm just realizing I probably should have done a warning for this warning to say if you don't like to hear the word balls, don't listen to this warning about the word balls, which is going to be in this episode. All right. Just, just, just forget it. Good times. Hey, everybody. Just a reminder that at PeteBrownSays.com, there's a submit page where I post a prompt and you're invited to submit responses. There's a record button right on the page. You just click it, record your response, and it gets sent right to me. It's all anonymous, and I'd love to hear your stories. So check out PeteBrownSays.com and click submit. Good times. again, everybody. This is Pete in almost real time. It's been a big couple of weeks since the last episode, and a bunch of things I just wanted to touch on really quickly before we get into today's show. First of all, if you are listening because you saw me perform a story at Risk Cincinnati, welcome. That was an amazing experience. I was selected to share a story for Risk, which is one of the top storytelling podcasts out there. It's differentiated by the fact that the stories have pretty high stakes. And actually, the first story I pitched them, they sent me a nice rejection and said it's a little too NPR. And if an NPR, if a story's good for NPR, it's not good for Risk. So I sat there and I thought, what's the one story I'd never want to tell in public? I pitched them that and they accepted it. And I told it in Cincinnati uh, to a full house at the Ludlow Garage, I think 300 or 400 people. And hopefully it will be on the Risk podcast soon. But for any new listeners that saw me at the show, thanks for joining me. I hope you find some stories you'll like here. I also turned 48 this past week. Not a lot to say about my birthday other than I think 48 is a really balanced number because, you know, 8 is twice 4. And so I'm hoping for a really balanced year also, a year ago on February 10th, uh, the community I live in, Westerville, Ohio, lost two police officers. They were shot in the line of duty. Uh, this is the one-year anniversary. Everybody has got blue light bulbs out on their houses, thinking of the families of Officer Eric Juring and Officer Anthony Morelli. It was just an unbelievable shock when that happened. Officer Morelli, in particular, he worked library duty, and my kids and a lot of my friends' kids kind of grew up giving him a high five at the library. Obviously, he worked more than library duty. That's just where I happen to know him from. 
This episode's coming out on Valentine's Day. If you celebrate Valentine's Day, hope you have a good one. It's also the one-year anniversary of the Parkland, Florida school shooting, where 14 students were killed and three adults. And I read an, an interesting story this week that the Miami Herald and McClatchy and the Trace all put together, tracing how many youth have died because of gun violence in the year since Parkland. And that number is an astounding 1,200. That is not good. Where is our sense of outrage about this? I don't know. Finally, if you're listening to the show from Rostov, Nadanu, Russia, and there are listeners there, that's where I served in the Peace Corps from 1993 to 95, happy Liberation Day. The city of Rostov, Andan, was taken twice by the Germans during World War II, but it was liberated for the second and final time by the Red Army on February 14, 1943. The Battle of Rostov cost 33,000 Russian casualties and at least 4,300 German casualties. It was always a somber but celebratory day when I lived there. The veterans would all wear their awards and badges, and people would give them flowers if they saw them on the street. And We were typically invited to someone's house for a meal and cake, and there you have it. That's kind of a lot of downer information to start the show with, and of course it's February here in central Ohio, so the skies are low and gray, and I wanted you to do just a silly, funnier story for you this week. Hopefully today's story fits the bill. Let's get to it. This is Season 2, Episode 4. Woomp. There it is. Tell me, what's your dream car? Has anyone ever asked you this? Probably so. If not, I'm asking you now. When people have asked me this question, I've always answered, an El Camino. You know El Caminos, right? It's a dilemma of a car made by Chevy from the 60s up through the late 80s. It looks like the unholy love child of a station wagon and a pickup truck. Something that I just learned is technically called a coupe utility vehicle, or CUV. The new Chevy El Camino. Beautiful, isn't it? Also, it weighs less and is a more efficient size that's almost 12 inches shorter. Yet has more head and leg room than last year. Incredibly, it's also a truck. It still has 800 pounds of cargo capacity. Double wall construction where it counts. Nobody expects the answer El Camino when they ask you what your dream car is, by the way. I think they expect exotic answers like Lamborghinis or Ferraris or Corvettes. Invariably, they ask, why an El Camino? And just as invariably, I reply, because it's a car that's not sure if it's a sedan or a pickup truck. Just like me. This always gets a laugh and a pause. The pause, I think, happens because the person is realizing how oddly apt comparing me to an El Camino actually is. I'm not quite a sedan and not quite a pickup. I'm not a manly man, if you will, but neither am I unmanly. I've always been somewhere in the middle. Bill Clinton, by the way, was an unapologetic El Camino driver. This is why the conclusion to today's episode so interested me when I first wrote it. Because it definitely staked a claim on one side of the El Camino debate. And as I mentioned before, whenever I brush up against some of my limits, they utterly fascinate me. The bulk of this piece, by the way, first appeared on the website Columbus Calling back in 2013, recreated here with permission, though I've made updates throughout the whole story. And my thanks to Columbus Calling publisher Chip Midnight for being cool about me using it here. The new Chevy El Camino. Who'd have thought a pickup could look this good? The other day, I was in the grocery store, trying to maneuver around a young mother who had one kid in the cart and two rambunctious boys bouncing from side to side in the canned food aisle. The young mother, in an attempt to corral the boys, advised them to stop running around like chickens with your heads cut off, or I'll whoop ya. Whooping ya 
is a phrase I've heard more than a few times around town, usually aimed at kids, and it's usually intended to get them to change their behavior lest they have a consequence, in this case, a weapon, which I assume is a kinder, gentler form of a whipping. It always sounds to me, though I have no way of knowing this for sure, that the folks who use whoop on a regular basis were raised by people who said the same, on account of the fact that people like teachers and coaches aren't allowed to threaten a whooping, so far as I know. I'm guessing this is a phrase that's handed down from parents to children. One thing I've learned about parenting is that when you're faced with a situation you haven't thought through, you tend to default parent in the manner you were parented. Unless you've made one of those capital B big decisions not to parent in the way you were parented, in which case, when faced with a new situation, you tend to just stare blankly and quietly and hope that things somehow resolve themselves quickly. I can't hear someone threaten to whoop their offspring without thinking of the term whoop-ass, which is a noun, and such a noun it is that it can actually be canned, as suggested by the phrase, open a can of whoop-ass, which I do like, but honestly, it always confuses me that you have to do it on someone. When I hear someone say, I'm going to open a can of whoop-ass on you, I imagine having to open the can and then climb up like a small stepladder so that you can dump it down on top of someone. But I guess this preposition on is intended to differentiate cans of whoop-ass from cans of spinach, which, when canned, as apparently it was and possibly still is, was the whoop-ass of Popeye's day. Canned spinach possibly was the original can of whoop-ass, if you will. If you've never seen a Popeye cartoon, I'm guessing you don't remember what TV was like before cable came along. People of a certain age were subjected to a lot of Popeye cartoons, and even one regrettable live-action film with Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. Luckily, there was only one plot to follow for all Popeye cartoons, which is this. In a situation that invariably arises because of his love for olive oil, Popeye faces down one or more bad guys, at least one of whom was named Bluto, or Brutus, depending on when the cartoon was made, who also shares an affection for olive oil. The bad guy, or bad guys, proceed to knock Popeye around for a bit until he somehow manages to ingest a can of spinach, which makes his muscles roid all out and then allows him to swiftly kick their asses, often aided, for reasons I cannot explain, by the fact that the bad guys in Popeye's universe when there were multiples of them, they politely line up to fight Popeye one at a time, instead of what would surely be a much more effective bull rush. The only real variable to any Popeye episode was how Popeye got the can open and ate the spinach. Sometimes he squeezed the can so hard that the spinach would fly through the air to his mouth. Sometimes another character like Wimpy or Sweet Pea, yes, those are real characters, got a can of spinach to him. Sometimes he had to use his pipe like a blowtorch to open the can. And sometimes, and this always freaked me out a little bit growing up, he sucked the spinach into his body through his pipe. I should point out here too that whoop-ass, as I hear it in the grocery store, is often spelled whoop-ass, W-H-O-O-P, which is how Joan Soda chose to spell it when the term inevitably became the name of an energy drink. You knew that had to be coming. I'm not a fan of this spelling, though, because whoop is so close to whoomp, as in, whoomp, there it is, which is a song from the early 1990s by an outfit that called themselves Tag Team, and whose career has never really eclipsed this one song. Hey, whoop, there it is, hit me. Whoop, there it is, 
Also, in one of those so weird I better mention it in the show, even if I'm only going to link to it in the show notes side stories, there's a whole delightfully weird conspiracy theory on the internet that posits that a young Barack Obama actually appears in the official music video for Woomp, There It Is. And so I've taken a look and, you know, could be. I also have to admit that I looked up the lyrics for Woomp, There It Is online, and that's where I learned that these three words mean you're getting busy. These three words mean you're getting busy. Woomp, there it is, Hitman. Now, I'm not sure if Woomp is included in the three words, or if just there it is are the three words they're talking about. And since getting busy means what I think it means, I end up somewhat confused by the fact that they play the song at hockey games when a goal is scored. For all the convenience of the internet, motto, the full lyrics to Woomp, there it is in under five seconds, I'm still confused about the actual meaning of Woomp. While some dictionaries point out that Woomp represents a loud but muffled or possibly distant sound, the Urban Dictionary offers up this gem. Woomp. 1. Noun. The place where it is. 2. Noun. The place where it was. I think the source of my confusion about Woomp, however, stems from its visual similarity to whoops, which we all know well enough is something we say when we've made an unintentional mistake. Like writing this episode, for example. Whoops. We start our kids out early with whoops. I think as early as some other folks start threatening their kids with a whoopin'. On the occasion of something like a drop sippy cup, we say whoopsies. A tumbling toddler might even elicit a whoopsie daisies from an inevitably nearby helicopter parent. Whoopsie daisies, you may recall, is what Hugh Grant's character in Notting Hill, which is a 1999 romantic comedy film that you probably should not admit to having seen, it's what he says when he tries and fails to scale the walls of a private garden while he is out and about gallivanting with an American movie star played by actual movie star Julia Roberts. She finds this use of whoopsie-daisies so amusing and endearing that she decides that Hugh Grant and the little blue travel bookstore that he runs in Notting Hill are definitely everything she wants out of life. Big movie star perks be damned. Um, right? Yeah. What's the daisies? Um. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Nothing. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. You said whoopsie daisies. No one says whoopsie daisies, do they? I mean, unless there is no unless, because no one has said whoopsie daisies for what fifty years, and even then, it was um. It was just little girls with blonde ringlets. Exactly. Now I know I'm running a fine right. line here, starting out with so whoop ass and then transitioning okay. into Notting Hill and all. But it's about to get worse. Way worse. You see, back in the mid-aughts, I found myself in the UK on business, often. And once, with a weekend to spare between business trips. And on this weekend, I somehow found myself in the Notting Hill area of London. I turned a corner, and sure enough, there was the little blue travel bookstore from the movie. The proprietors confirm this with a historical marker-looking sign that explains that this is the site of the bookshop from the film Notting Hill, established in 1981. They do say you can really feel the history in England, after all. So almost without thinking about it, I extend my arm, cell phone in hand, to take a selfie of myself in front of this landmark location in cinematic history. Also, in researching this post, I discovered the shop closed a few years back. So, you know... If you missed your chance to see it, you're shit out of luck. A quick aside here. Selfie, meaning a photo you take of yourself, probably with a phone, 
really seems to have taken off as a word about six years ago. It's definitely been aided by the rise of social media and our ongoing experiment with the brandification of self. The OED tracked about 36 references to selfie in 2012, but by the end of 2013, it had made it the word of the year. I can only imagine that the Catholic Church is thrilled and relieved that selfie is a noun referring to a picture you take of yourself, given the other activity we might have chosen selfie to describe. You know, the verb, the one you give yourself, you know, which can make you go blind. That kind of selfie. Ah. Anyway, at the time I was in the UK, selfie had yet to catch on for either activity. This was the pre-iPhone era. And while my brick-like Samsung Blackjack phone did have a camera on it, to get a picture to someone else, you had to download it from the camera and email it from a computer. Which is to say that the prospect of taking and sharing a not-yet-called-a-selfie at this time in history was daunting. So you only chose to do it when there was something really cool to share. Which brings me back to me in Notting Hill in London, standing in front of the blue travel bookshop from the film Notting Hill, thinking I'll take a pic of myself and attach it to an email later that day that I can send home to my wife, who was taking care of our two very little kids and posse of dogs in my absence. In fact, I remember pausing in the morning sunlight and trying to remember the exact year Notting Hill came out, because I wanted to be 100% sure that the woman I saw it in the theater with is in fact currently my wife and would-be recipient of the not-yet-called-a-selfie-selfie and that it didn't come up in the pre-my-wife era, which is a time that nobody wins by bringing up, ever. Just trust me on this one. Also, in case you're wondering why I just didn't use my phone to Google what year Notting Hill came out, you're not picking up on how hard tasks like this were in the pre-iPhone era. At that time, Googling this question would probably take me 20 minutes or more and cost me a fortune in international data fees. You know, sometimes I tell my kids what it was like back in the day when you get in an argument with someone about a piece of trivia and then leave that argument being pretty sure you just would never ever have a way to learn which one of you was actually correct. In any case, I was pretty sure Notting Hill came out in the mid to late 90s, which means I either saw Notting Hill in the theater with my wife or I was drugged by communists and taken there against my will. I was clear to take the what was not yet called a selfie selfie. But what happened next was the unexpected thing I mentioned earlier in this episode. The thing that brings back that whole El Camino dilemma. Describing exactly what happened is not difficult. But understanding why it happened, that's trickier. As I was about to take the not yet called a selfie selfie, and I was trying to remember the exact year Notting Hill was in theaters, I accidentally, which is to say entirely on purpose, threw my phone to the ground and stomped on it repeatedly. Then I clenched my fist, I closed my eyes, and I shouted the following sentences across the English morning. People of the United Kingdom, I almost took a not yet called a selfie selfie of myself in front of the historical marker for the travel bookshop that appeared in the 1999 film Notting Hill. For the love of God, what has happened to my balls? Okay, I didn't do that, which you probably know because, as I mentioned, the word selfie hadn't caught on yet, so why would I be using it way back then? And also, in general, I retired references to my balls around the time I turned 25. 
after you turn 25, really, the only reason to use the word balls is if you're talking about getting your dog fixed, and even then, it's iffy. But I did stand there, in the crisp morning light, thinking of that space between L and Camino, sedan and pickup truck, contemplating this newfound border in the comfort map of my life, not taking a photo, not going into the bookstore, not doing anything in particular, just me standing in the middle of a street in Notting Hill in London, staring blankly and quietly at everything and nothing at once, and hoping that the situation would somehow resolve itself quickly. It's not a pretty picture of modern manhood, I'm afraid. But what else can I say? I am what I am. And also, whoop, there it is. Good times, everybody. Okay, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back in about two weeks with a new episode, possibly a mini-episode before then. I know I've promised mini-episodes this season, and I haven't delivered any. I actually made one and decided it wasn't good enough. But I've got another one in the works that I hope measures up. If you like the show, please tell a friend. And remember, you can go to PeteBrownSays.com, where you can sign up for the newsletter, buy me a cup of coffee, or go to the submit page, where you can record your response to a prompt. And right now, I'm wondering how you handle it when you see a homeless or down-on-their-luck person begging on the side of the road or at the end of a highway ramp. Do you give them money? Do you not give them money? Is it case by case? I'm just curious about your thinking when presented with that situation. Someone pointed out to me that for that button that you record with to work, you have to have Flash installed in your browser. So if you've been going there and you're like, there's no button, that's what's going on there. Finally, my thanks again to Chip Midnight, publisher of ColumbusCalling.com where a version of today's show first appeared back in 2013. If you're at all into the local music scene here in Columbus, columbuscalling.com is a must-visit website for you. Until next time, everybody, good times. Pete Brown Says is the property of Blue Monkey Communications and is a work of creative nonfiction audio written and produced by me, Pete Brown. This show is written to the very best of my memory. Some music in the show comes from Brian Hake and Kevin Davison. And the closing song, I'm Not Myself, is by their band, Delicious. Other audio may have been sourced from the websites audionautics.com, incompetech.com, the YouTube Free Music Library, freesound.org, and podcastmusic.com. Most pieces are licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes at PeteBrownSays.com for complete attribution. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, thanks for your time listening today. Good times, everyone. Yeah,